with episode eight, I think. I guess I was gonna ask you what episode it was. I should know this, because I actually have a folder where I keep things in and I'm kind of organized about it. So we'll say eight, maybe. Sure, why not? That sounds right. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> this is the very special um, chick flick edition, if you will. Mm-hmm. Or, or do we not even say that? Because it's part of our argument that that is a bad term. I don't know. I guess we can. No, no, it's not a bad term. It's appropriate for certain things. Okay. This is going to be a very um, complicated episode, perhaps, one might say, of the Femme Critique. Uh, We we are going to, as we have have been hinting about, spend some time talking about the idea of a quote-unquote chick flick and what it means and if it is real or offensive or not offensive. We don't know. We'll find out. I know Christina's opinions. I do, too. But I think my opinions are going to be easily swayed. Oh, I look forward to it then. Indeed. Um, and then, so then the movies we're going to be talking about later are um, Outrageous Fortune mm-hmm. from 1987. I think so. Okay. Um, yes, that looks right. Okay. And um, this means War from 2012. I not two movies you generally expect to be covered on a podcast. But, if I do say so myself. But they really went together really well they went and together I- so well. Really bizarre that that happened. Yeah, I had completely forgotten, because regarding a very specific plot point of Outrageous Fortune, I had forgotten how well that would go with the plot of This Means War. Mm, And you will find out what that means in, uh, (laughs) you know, another half hour or so. Uh, Before then, well, first of all, um, I don't know if by the time you hear this, it will already have been released or if it will be released after. I don't know. We'll keep you informed. But um, we were guests on a podcast yesterday, were we not? Uh, yeah, we were. We were. We were guests on I the- mean, I was a guest, were you? I, I think I was. Okay. I was there. I don't think I was I know. There. I own something. Um, so it was, uh, the podcast was the Debatable Podcast, which you can find on Facebook. Just search for it. Um, if you forget, I forget if Debatable has an E in or not. You'll figure it out. Um, but we will also post about there when we're uh, on there. But yeah, Greg had us on there, and we talked a lot about um, movies, including one in particular. Um, yeah, The Wicker Man. Yes. But now, not, but not the good but one. Not the one that Christine and I would, you know, <laughs> that, that we adore more than um, lots of things in the world. Let, um, let's let's just actually say Emily talked about a lot about The Wicker Man, and I talked a lot about Watchmen and Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, so. that was kind of the way it broke down. <laughs> So if you want to hear um, how I think The Wicker Man is the most misogynist film of all time, mm-hmm. and if you want to see, hear how Christine um, really likes Scott Pilgrim. Well, I think that, I think everyone knew that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you head over to the Debatable Podcast, and again, we'll keep you informed on our Facebook page when that happens. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. In the meantime, uh, it's, it's been a few weeks. Christine, what have you been watching? What have I been watching? Um, I am going to say, I'm going to kind of explain my my watching a little bit um i've been working a lot and while my movie watching hasn't slowed at all it's definitely i don't want to say become questionable but it's definitely not what it usually is i am re-watching a lot i am starting to watch films at 10 or 11 at night which is not the best idea it's never a good idea so that is why it kind of looks like this um i watched which this is actually one of the best, better movies I watched in the last few weeks. I watched Paranorman. Oh, okay. 
Did it you have adorable? I have not oh. seen it. It looked very cute. So good. Okay. Like, like if I had been in a slightly different mood, I probably would have wept openly through the whole thing. Mm. That it was is shocking I, coming from you. I know. No, but like it didn't, it got me, but it didn't like twist like it could have. Um, it definitely has the ability to be like gut wrenching, but it was really sweet and really well done. And I thought like, you know, like some kids' movies are pandering. It definitely wasn't pandering. Yeah, I, I have uh, immense respect. That's why I am such a Pixar fan. Because to me, when a child, a children's movie can be just as good for adults, I just think that is not easy to do, and is mm-hmm. a wonderful thing to accomplish. So. Yeah, so I think I think you would like it. So okay. I think you should check it out. Um, I went to the theater and I saw um, Texas <laughs> Texas Chainsaw 3D. Oh, did you in 3D? Yeah. Uh, yes, um, unfortunately. Um, there's actually, I wrote a, something up for it um, on the Paracinema site <clears throat> because I did have a lot of strong feelings about it. Um, it I had, oh, this annoying, I don't, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I had with my blog, one day I was trying to get on it to do something and I was getting the 404 error. And the last time I got that, it led to my blog being gone for like a month and it that was... When it that was when it like turned out that one of the blogs I was linking to, um, they had a corrupt file, mm-hmm. and so that happened to me the other day. So I just freaked out and I just took down the blog roll and I'll go through everything again. Um, uh, so that's uh, that's why well, I noticed that you you had a post on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D. If you're interested in it, you can go check it out. It's basically me just lamenting that they didn't decide to make a different movie because I thought it had a lot of potential. They do that with every Texas Chainsaw Massacre, other than Part Two. It's like. They, you can, you know, every single horror film has done the redneck horror, and yet they just, they always go for the same plot, I don't get it. Yeah, it's it's really, it's really, uh, I feel like a, a big There's always miss. the fake safety where they go and they think they, it, does this happen, where they think that they found somebody to help them, and of course that person's a family member, does that happen? Um... Oh, no, and see the the thing the thing is it's it's um just real quick it's a direct sequel to the first movie, um, okay. so which is interesting, yeah. and I'm like okay I'm on board and basically not this is not a spoiler at all but the the main girl the main character is a member of the family, okay. So, yeah, so interesting. They, they no. did something different. No, but they didn't. No, uh, then nothing different happens. Because she wears a tank top? No, she doesn't wear a tank top. She wears a fucking, like, a half shirt. But she also wears, like, bell bottoms and clunky shoes. And she runs around. And she looks just like Sally. And I was like, how interesting would this be to juxtapose our, our blood-spattered Sally mm-hmm. running away from, you know, Leatherface to now this girl, this woman being the exact opposite and be, be an active member of the family and take revenge. But it never, it didn't happen like that. So I say, if you really want to watch it and get aggravated, go for it. But, <laughs> um, I rewatched The Avengers just because I was tired and I wanted to watch it. Um, and nothing to be said there. You rewatched it so to make up for the fact that I still haven't seen it. Yes, I have now seen it probably six times so you don't need to see it now i've seen it enough i've seen enough for both of us um uh have you ever seen the show the in-betweeners no i have not okay i believe there is an american version but i have never seen it um this is the original uh uk version there is a movie the in-betweeners movie and i saw that and it's amazing um it's really fucking funny i almost threw up i was laughing so hard (laughs) (laughs) um i also saw dread Oh, I heard such good things about it. 
liked it. Okay. I mean, I didn't have a lot of emotions about it. It was it wasn't it wasn't bad by any stretch. I mean, okay. they could have really fucked it up. It wasn't like bad or anything. Um, I saw. Oh, now this. I saw Men in Black Three. Oh, how interesting. I fucking loved it. That's a really good movie. Really? Yes. It's, that was the like the classic case of a sequel nobody asked for. Because <laughs> I don't know many people who were really itching the pavement for a, another Men in Black sequel. Dude, what, they shot, after the first they shot that right down the street from my house. Aww. When we were still in Astoria, yeah. in Astoria and we would go by the, the, the building and it would be like, you know, Men in Black 3, enter here. And Dylan and I were like, who the fuck is looking for this movie? <laughs> You're and, thinking it's like a fake title for the movie? The yeah, that, the nobody's nobody nobody's going to care about that. Yeah. yeah. It's actually <laughs> the Avengers 2. Yeah. <laughs> you better make me choke. Um, so, oh. as you can see, clearly, most of these are like 2012s that I've been watching, 2011. So I, I was just getting a lot of new stuff because I couldn't pay attention to anything. So I was like, I'll just get stuff that it's like, whatever. So I thought Men in Black 3 I could just kind of like wander in and out of. But it's really heartfelt. It's really earnest. It's really sweet. And I don't know. Will Smith was like good in it. Like, really, like actually good in it. And I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Okay. You're, I, you're entitled to that. I recommend. No, man. Watch it. Sure. Okay, so you lived in Russia, right? I did, yeah. L- let me let me know if I'm saying this right. I saw Anna Karenina. Sure, I just <laughs> keep adding. I just keep adding ends to it. I know. I feel like there's a million ends in it. Like in the movie, they said it a few times, and I was like, "What's that? Can you say that again?" That's a mistake. They just decided not to edit I, that one out. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, holy crap! Did you what? To tell me. And this is also Joe Wright. This is Joe Wright. This is my first Joe Wright on the big screen. That's why I had to make sure I saw it. It is so beautiful. That's oh my god. Oh, did you see it in? Is it in three D? Um, I don't know. I did definitely didn't see it in three D, but um, it's like okay. So obviously it's a period piece, whatevs. But um, the way that he does it, it's like everything's there's like all these single sets and it's on a stage. Mm And it just, these long shots, I can't even describe it. It's just, it was just so beautiful. Like, I had chills the whole time. It was absolutely gorgeous. I got a couple of Oscar nominations for, like, costumes. Like, costumes and stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. Art direction, I think it got. Mm. And there's, it's like a slew of, like, you know, people from Pride and Prejudice and people from Atonement. It's just all these familiar people popping up, so I loved it. Keep his same crew and both both in front of and behind the camera. But I'm totally into that, so. Nice. Um, I did watch Killer Joe. Oh, okay. What did you think? We talked a little bit about it on oh, the other podcast, yeah. didn't we? I, I, yeah, a little bit, briefly. I liked it a lot. Um, it definitely, um, every time Matthew McConaughey wasn't on screen, though, I was kind of like, I wish Matthew McConaughey would come back on screen. Just because he was, he was so good, and he was just really, for me, the most interesting thing going on in that movie. I would like to watch it again, but... Now, did you get I, the Netflix like DVD? Uh, yes, yeah. Is it the unrated version or the non or the? That's a mm, super good question. I have no idea because I've been debating putting it on my queue, but I know people were saying like that. I think the Blu-ray was unrated or not unrated. I don't know. It got very confusing. So I, I could, was wondering. I could see that being the unrated, not the unrated. Okay. Um. So the rated. yeah, the rated. <laughs> a lot of double so, negatives going on. Here. No, I want to use all the double negatives. Um, yeah, I. Could, I don't know, though. I'm really not sure. I should do some research and see if what would be missing. But I, I liked. I did like it a lot. I know a lot of people are 
really into it and definitely um, worth it worth it just to see McConaughey. Yeah, we might get back to this uh, later on in the show when we talk about some things in the future. Um, so that's why I was wondering, because I would kind of like to see it before then, because I feel like it is a, um, seems like it will be useful to have watched. This mm-hmm. is a lot of hinting about something that makes no sense yet. Um, yeah, but I would I like to know, I want to make sure that I see, I guess, Gina Gershon's um, vagina if I'm going to watch the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I saw her vagina, so maybe okay. I saw. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Is it vagina enough to get? Oh, yeah, she's on, like... really good in it, too. You know, across the board, really good acting, but then when you... But it's just that McConaughey is... Oh, my fun. gosh. So good. Like, he should just always be kind of a sleazeball, because he does it so fucking well. Okay. I, um, I, don't, I don't disagree with that. I yeah. want to put a question on the Facebook group, because I feel like a lot of people in our community have been watching this movie, so maybe yeah. they will know whether I can just uh, take it from Netflix or not. Yeah, yeah, do that, because I, I'm not really sure. But, yeah, I would like to know what you think about it. Um, then I have two more and they're both rewatches, so I won't really say much. I watched X-Men 2 again, just because, because okay. <laughs> I felt like it. <laughs> and I rewatched Sunshine. Oh God, I love which Sunshine. Which continues to be one of the best movies maybe ever. And I think that movie gets better with repeat watches. Oh my gosh. Especially the f- once you let go of thinking oh, yeah. the last I mean, and I think everybody who watches Sunshine the first time has the same reaction, which is greatest movie of all time for the first hour. And then I really like, like what the hell movie. happens. Yeah. But I think um, if you watch it carefully and just think that that ending actually makes perfect sense in the context of the movie and what they keep saying about Sunshine. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's that screenplay is, is artfully written. It's yeah. beautiful yeah. and perfect. And, and there's not one wasted scene, not one wasted line, not one wasted introduction. It's all perfect. Do you own the Blu-ray or do you have a DVD? I own the Blu-ray. Isn't it? That was the first Blu-ray I watched where I was like, whoa, I get it. I, yeah, it's I, gorgeous. I was right absolutely. in paying $300 for this thing. No, it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And m- one of my favorite things about Sunshine, because it's such a good ensemble cast, mm-hmm. is that every time I watch it, I align myself with someone different. Ooh, for whatever reason, like I always, it was always Killian Murphy the first few times, and then, and then this last time, Chris Evans' character. He's so good in that. So good, and his character is so amazing. Oh, He's God. like the fucking voice of reason in that yeah. movie. And, and the, fact that the whole Chris time, Evans. I'm like, yeah. "Listen, to Chris Evans, what the fuck is wrong with you?" The whole time, I was just really, really into it. So, everybody, go watch Sunshine yeah. um, again. That's a movie too that um, I think I had like a reaction. I, I that's a hard reaction to have to a movie is realizing I was tearing up at a scene, not because it was emotional, but just because it was so fucking beautiful. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's when they, the first, it's about a half hour in when they go out of the ship to fix And the fix this, the panels, yep. The, the music and mm-hmm. the visuals of that moment is just, like, you're watching it's it. It's overwhelming. Yeah, it's like if you've stared at a painting that, if you've ever had an experience with, like, visual art where you're actually emotionally affected by it and you can't quite put your finger on it, that's what I have with that movie, and it's very rare that I can say that. Yeah. Uh, is that everything for you? That's me. So. All right. I have very, have yeah, I have different watches than you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which is usually the case. That's true. True. Um, well, I watched one. Uh, it was um, Bill from Outside the Cinema's birthday a few weeks ago, and he did a mm-hmm. kind of screening where they were showing a 35 millimeter print of a lost gem, if you will. And it was the movie was Madman or Madman Mars, depending on, uh, I guess, what the title was 
depending on your video VHS box. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just, it was like a 1983 maybe slasher, you know, is set in, is set in a camp and there is a crazy man going around killing people. A, a Galen Ross is in it from Dawn of the Dead. It's very oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Because she has a completely different name. She's credited. Her name is like Alexandra Smith or something. And the movie, I think it was released after Dawn of the Dead, but she had to have been young. This movie must have been shelved or something because she looks much younger in it. Um, it is, on one hand, just a very laughable 80s slasher because it, you know, there's things like the fact that it's set at a summer camp, but there's only like one camper. Um, there is a like wonderfully gratuitous male nudity scene that Ooh. is just fantastic because it doesn't make sense. Um, but at the same time, it has, like, some random moments that are actually kind of good. The The director never made another movie, which is kind of a shame, because he could stage a good scary man behind you, sneaking up behind you, scare really well. <laughs> there was a, and the, also, I should say, I sat next to um, Jason from uh, Fozzie Bear from the podcast, podcast or First Times with Fozzie or whatever podcast he has now. Um <laughs> All of his 25 podcasts. And I don't know if you've ever gone to a horror movie with him. He is the best person to watch a horror movie with. Because he will jump and he will scream. And it makes I, it so much more enjoyable. I think the only movie I've ever been to with him is um, a screening of The Roommate. Gee, if the I roommate. remember. Gee, what I don't know. idiot brought you to The Roommate? I don't know who made me go I see The Roommate. Who almost two years ago uh, and two weeks ago. <laughs> I still haven't let it go. Never let it go. For those who don't know, um, for my birthday two years ago, for my 29th birthday, um, I decided the the best way to celebrate would me would be for me to first go and get drunk, to, like to go have brunch where I was drinking. Yeah, first go and get drunk, and then go see the roommate in Times Square. Yeah, on a Saturday night with a lot of friends, um, and because I was, um, you know, had a lot of mimosas. I probably didn't realize how loud I was talking to the movie. Yelling um, at the screen, I, I, yell- I would actually I say. He just disappeared from the movie for a while, and I forgot what happened to him, and I looked around and said, where the fuck did Billy Zane go? Um, I think I was justified in that, but anyway, yes. Um, no, you're, that's true. I never thought about it like that. No, I, I think so. I don't remember anybody shushing me. I think I entertained people. Yeah, you're, you're all right. So for Emily's 29th birthday, I had to hear her yell at the roommate. And for her 30th birthday, I threw up all over a train platform. But not so, like with me. No, no. But it was, I, I, I say it was your fault. Oh, so yeah, unfortunately, I won't be there for your 31st. But <laughs> Oh, well, I'll just have to throw up for you. Or you can oh, throw up for me if you want. No, I'll, I'll throw up here and I'll let you know. Okay, thank you. Uh, you don't have to take a picture of it, but I'm sure the Facebook group would appreciate it if you did. Ew, no. All right, so I watched uh, other things. Um, I've been, I watched a couple of Bond flicks. Oh, did you really? I did. Um, so I watched Live and Let Die, which mm-hmm. I believe Which one's that? That is the black exploitation one. Oh, okay. I like That's that That's the Yafet Kodo uh, with awesome. the best death scene of all time, uh, <laughs> which I wrote on three times. And Jane Seymour, who I am convinced has never cut her hair ever. Isn't she gorgeous in that, though? She is gorgeous in it. Ugh, she has so... beautiful hair. Like, Anne Hathaway hair, this woman. No, it, it's unnatural. Like, it, it is, is really... She must, like, it. use, like, placenta in it or but something. I wouldn't be surprised. But also, I mean, she is Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. I'm sure <laughs> That's she's true. Medicine. But seriously, have you ever seen Jane Seymour with short hair? I don't think and so, it's no. it's not just, like, long. Like, it's, like, you know, kind of, like, almost unreasonably long, where it's like, eh, you should probably cut that, like... But no, but she's oh just always had long hair. But I really like living that die. Moral of the story. Um, Good. I really enjoyed it. It uh, 
Bond in Harlem is awesome because it's Bond in Harlem. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we followed that one up a few days later with The Man with a Golden Gun. Oh, which I have not seen. Do you no. recommend? Well, here's the thing. Um, I feel like if you're a real Bond fan, you probably do not which know this one. I feel like if you are somebody who appreciates good movies, you probably do not care for this one. Hmm. All right. So I think I'm out. Exactly. If you happen to be someone like, I don't know, me, um, who gets really excited by the fact that um, it's Christopher Lee with three nipples and that um, there's uh, Asian schoolgirls fighting a karate school. And that there is a slide whistle used in a very, um, for a big car stunt. Um, so, so can we expect a review of this up on your blog at any point? Or? No. Well, the whole reason I watched it was because um, the uh, chief henchman, Christopher Lee, is, mm-hmm. uh, I can't say his name, Herbe Vlachese, um, the guy, the no, little guy from yeah. Fantasy Island. He's, he's the henchman. So I look forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> At one point, he wears, they're having a duel, and he gets dressed up for it. He puts on a little hat and gloves. It's so cute. Oh, yeah. gee, it's so cute. Really? Do you think that man likes being called cute like a child? Well, okay, in the movie, they put him <laughs> in a suitcase at one point. So, All right, so he's used to it. You know, right? clearly. Um, so, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I know it's, it probably isn't very good, but I enjoyed it. And I probably oh, well, good. Um, I watched from, speaking of movies, I, I actually didn't enjoy surprisingly enough, uh, 2004's Pinocchio, written, directed, and starring Roberto Benigni. I don't even know what that is. That's a movie? Yeah. After he, he after Life is Beautiful, uh, Roberto Benigni. So you can't say it unless you say it like that, right? A Vanity Project version of Pinocchio, where he plays Pinocchio. Ugh, why? I'm surprised you didn't know about this, because this was, like, the big Razzie Award winner of the year. This was considered, like, the worst movie of its time for a while. Maybe I do know what it is, but I, it's not ringing any bells. It, I mean, it's kind of Nutcracker in 3D levels of just, oh, God, you did not understand your audience at all. Because it's a kid's movie, um, but it's so ugly, and it, Roberto Benigni is obviously, like, 45, and he's playing Pinocchio. And, like, the movie, <laughs> oh, the first thing the movie says is, like, this is a magical world where grown-ups, where children, look, where grown-ups look like children. Or, or where children look like grown-ups. Essentially, like... So what an awful excuse, world. What terrible magic. Make an excuse for the fact that um, Roberto Benigni was playing Pinocchio. Um, and what they did for the U.S. release and for the Netflix DVD is they dubbed it with uh, <sighs> an all-star cast, including John Cleese, Glenn Close, Kevin James, Cheech Marin, and in the role of Pinocchio, Brecken Meyer. Oh, so so it's Roberto Benigni as the voice of Brecken Meyer. Wow. Yeah, it was not good. No, it was just not good at all. And because the whole thing was Pinocchio was such an asshole. Like in real, I mean, like, it's not yeah, real life. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you mean yeah. like Pinocchio's an asshole? Like the story of Pinocchio is that he's a naughty boy who doesn't really understand like how he how he hurts people and what his lies do. But in the movie, it's like. Okay, Pinocchio comes to life, and he, and he goes on this, like, montage of breaking things and scaring horses and chasing cats and stealing a cane from an old man, and the old man falls, and then he knocks over a fruit stand. It just, like, he's just an awful, awful, awful character. So he's, like, a dickhead. He's a dick. And okay. it's, like, the last two minutes of the film, he's like, I am very sorry for the way I acted. 
It's like, no, it's too late. I've sat through 89 minutes of this. I'm not going to forgive you that easily. Is it like an allegory for Christianity or something? You no, know, it's Pinocchio. So it's all about like learning. <laughs> well, I don't, I'm saying that. About, is it updated? Compassion and no, I don't think so. I think it's just Roberto Benigni really thought he was making, he, he just thought he was so lovable after Life is Beautiful. So he was like, ah, I could be Pinocchio. Everybody loves me. And, uh, I don't know. Mario? I don't think they did. It's me, Mario. Hey, I'm Pinocchio. Uh, I also watched a um, early 90s, what I call sexy time thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched Malice, starring Alec Baldwin, uh, Will Pullman, okay. Nicole Kidman, B.B. Newworth, Tobin Bell, Oh, Tobin Bell. Tobin Bell, who, when you see him, you don't think he's bad at all, because, you know, no movie has taught me that he's bad. Uh, And a very young Gwyneth Paltrow. Really? I've never seen this, but it's familiar. I remember it just kind of as being, like, one of those, like, very 90s sexy time thrillers, as I call it, because it's, like, the kind of movie the poster had, like, just, like, big pretty faces on it. And the trailer was all, like, you know, Nicole Kidman, her naked back, and Alec Baldwin's hairy chest and that kind of stuff. Um, if you go into this movie knowing nothing about it, it, it's really enjoyable just because it's, it's, well, the script is co-written by Aaron Sorkin. Okay. Um. That's promising. Exactly. And it just, it's, um, it's, it's kind of a thriller. It's kind of a mystery, but it's not at all the movie that it seems like it is when you first start watching it. There are a whole lot of turns, um, perhaps too many. Uh, there's a lot of red herrings. (laughs) It, this, is, oh. I mean, this is a very busy film. There's a lot going on, but it's kind of really fun. So I actually really enjoyed it. Anne Bancroft has like this one scene that makes the movie. She just plays, she's a drunk woman. It's great. Uh, I don't think this movie is on Netflix, but um, I recommend it. Seek it out. Hmm. Duly noted. Indeed. Okay, two more I'll go through quickly. Um, I watched a uh, horror anthology I had never heard of somehow from 1983 called, or 86, depending on where you look, called Scream Time. I, I don't know what this, this is. This is on Netflix Instant, and it's really fun. It is, it's three stories, and one of the, I, it's a weird, like, it's a kind of movie that has very little information on it. Like, the, um, a, one of the director, or the director of Mark of the Devil has directed something in it. It's, like, there's a fake name for the director, and then IMDb lists two separate directors for it, so it's very confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, the three stories, uh, two of them are, are genuinely good. One is a puppet story, as all anthologies should have. Uh, one is this kind of, like, actually very good um, sort of woman's having vision story. And the third story is not very good, but it's about a garden gnome come to life. So it, also, it makes it awesome. But the best thing about this movie is the three stories are very British and pretty restrained, all in all. But the wraparound story is set in New York in the 1980s. And it's like these two guys who steal VHS tapes from a video store. And then they're like, hey, we want to watch these movies. And so then, like, when the movie ends, when the first story ends, they're like, yeah, that was pretty good. I mean, I don't get scared of nothing because I know they act as. Like, it's just the weirdest. So they're actually, wait, so the wraparound is... Is people watching, watching? stories. Yes. I don't like They're that at all. That seems like a that seems like a cop out, doesn't yeah, it? Like it's very much like you wonder if these were um because a lot of times with the anthology is like there are films that were unfinished that they just were like, you know what, if we chop it up, we can we can put it in an anthology. Mm-hmm. This, they, they could have been like part of a TV show maybe that never happened. Cause the, the stories are short and they don't feel like they were um like pared down. 
So it, it's definitely, I don't think this was originally intended as an anthology because the wraparound just doesn't fit the tone at all, but it's awesome because mm -hmm. they're really New York and it's great. Um, so I really enjoyed it and I recommend everybody watch it. It's called Scream Time. It's on Netflix Instant. Uh, and then the last thing I watched, um, some people might have seen my comments about it on the Facebook page, was uh, Salem's Lot, the miniseries. Mm, the uh, yes. recent, or the 21st century miniseries with Rob Lowe and James Cromwell, who is in everything, ever. Like Babe. Like, like Babe. and Because that's what I know him from. Yeah, I, so, like, I don't know. I feel like every movie I've been watching lately, James Cromwell just... No, he's, he keeps coming that. up. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Um, this was not very good. However, it did this really weird thing where the first, it's three hours because it was a miniseries. The first hour is pretty good. The kind of buildup and the establishment of the town is actually, I was there. I was there with it. Um, they kind of did a couple of updates, which worked for me, I thought. Um, and then the second hour, because then they have to show the vampires. And that doesn't look so good. But it did the weirdest thing ever because I'm watching it. And I'm like, oh, this is okay. And then Brandon comes home as I'm watching it, and he's like, oh, how is it? I'm like, you know, actually, it's not that bad. And he just gives me this look, like, really? Really? Just as I said that, um, it just got ridiculous and got terrible. Mm. Like, it was as if the movie was like, oh, you don't think I'm bad? I'll <laughs> like, wait a second. Yeah. And Let it, me step it up like, a notch. The last hour is just hysterical, and it's very strange. Like, the movie just decided at one point, you know what? Let's make him laugh. I've, ne I've never seen it. I, I <laughs> have you read it? Um, no, I haven't. Okay, I only I read it recently, and I loved it. I actually really enjoyed the book. And if um, e even if you're maybe not the biggest Stephen King fan, it is definitely probably some of his best stuff. So it's well I worth the read. I feel like the older I get, the m the more trouble I have with Stephen King. I can understand that. The thing I that I will say about this, it actually is the only example so far. <laughs> of a Stephen King book that I've read where the ending doesn't kind of ruin half of it. Because, mm. I, I mean, I, you know, I think a lot of, most people would agree Stephen King doesn't know how to end his stuff. No, not at all. And Salem's Lot actually has a very good ending, which shocked me. But it, I don't know, I found it to be um, definitely the best King I think I've read. Huh, all right. Well, I'm in the middle of The Shining still. I've been in the middle of The Shining for, I don't know, mm. six months. I enjoyed so. The Shining. So far, I like it. I just keep reading other things. I need to just get back to it. This is this is why I never read more than one thing at once because this is the type of shit that happens. And I now I have yeah, I can't multitask um, fiction with something. Now I have three things, three or four things going. I can't keep up. Mm. So well, Christine. Make yes, ma'am. Because you're a chick. I'm a lady. Segue. Ladies are stupid. Yeah. Are, well, their movies are. Ugh. Yeah. Okay, so now <laughs> you had. I'm trying to remember how we came to this. I think you I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. A chick flick, anti chick flick, blah 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 chick flick um, show. Yeah. Um. So why don't why don't you start? What? How do you feel about the term and genre known as CF? Okay. Um. See, I feel like. And, and I think this um, colored my choice quite a bit. My, my, my movie choice that did, again, work out really well with what you picked. But I think for the purposes, I do tend to get romantic comedy and chick flick confused. Mm -hmm. Because I feel now, in this day and age, they are synonymous. 
I'm making a lot of hand gestures. You can't I, see I, it. I, I can hear them though in your, in your imagination. Uh, and I, um, I, I do agree with that point. And I, and I don't think it's a fair point, but I completely agree that that is well, the way I look at it too often. I Googled, I, I was reading things. I did some reading. Um, romantic, I, I wrote, you know, chick flick and romantic comedy. When did they become the same thing? That's what I wrote down. Um, so, and when, when did, when did rom-com become a dirty word? And if you look under, like, just sim- something as simple as Wikipedia and you go through romantic comedies, do you know what's listed as a romantic comedy? I do not the, know. the Princess Bride. Because huh. it is romantic, there is a, a romance, there is romantic elements, and it is humorous. That's not what a rom-com is anymore. That's I- not what... But it is. I agree. Why don't we let us hold this point? Because yes. sometimes our sound qual- our sound quality is suddenly getting whippy. <gasps> so it's okay. I'm just gonna stop. I'm gonna sign out of Skype. Sign back in and let us resume. Okay. Okay. You were saying oh. Princess Bride was a romantic comedy. Are we recording? We are. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was saying. This is what I was saying. I was saying that if you go and look at what is listed as romantic comedy, um, Princess Bride is. And I can completely see why, as I may or may not have said. <laughs> it <laughs> it can, romance. It's, it's romance, it and comedy. It's, it's comedy, but that's not necessarily what the definition means anymore, um, or what the word means anymore. Like, The Graduate is also listed as a romantic comedy. Sure. But now I feel like it is so synonymous with quote-unquote chick flick, which is also a dirty cinematic word, when a romantic comedy is, shouldn't be. It's just, it's just a comedy that happens to have elements of romance, just like a dramedy or, you know. And it's, that was actually in part why I picked the movie I did, um, because that is one big, that's kind of the big half of what people think of when they think of chick flick. They think of a rom. Mm -hmm. They think yes. of a Meg Ryan, Julia Roberts, Katherine Heigl movie. Yes. Um, now, which is also a chick flick. <laughs> See, it's very. It depends because it's like you can look at. Um, uh, okay, easy example. You can say, "Well, Pretty Woman feels uh, feels like a quote unquote chick flick because it's you know it's primary character's a woman. It's very wish fulfillment, which is going on mm-hmm. the other end. Now, however, something like. Um, who we uh, just had her in his head? Um, when Harry Met Sally. When mm-hmm. Harry Met Sally, it's it's a much trickier to label that a chick flick because for several reasons, it is equal parts about a man and a woman. It is not, you know, your. It, it's on a different level where there's a lot of realism to it. Um, you have kind of even sides of this couple. And so it becomes this, like, blurry line on that end. Yeah, And the other end is people who just say any movie that seems to focus on women... Is a chick flick. Steel Magnolias and Beaches. And to me, Steel Magnolias is the prime example of the movie that both men and women will admit they like it and be embarrassed about saying that. Steel Magnolias, I've known mm-hmm. many men who have said, oh, I, yeah, no, it's actually a good movie. I mean, you know, like, like for a chick flick, it's really good. And the thing about Steel Magnolias, and that's why I think I get um, very frustrated with the term chick flick, Steel Magnolias is not wishful fulfillment, and it's not about 
romance. It's there is mm-hmm. there's very little romance in Sue Magnolia. That is an incidental part of it. It is Sue Magnolia is about um, these women and how and their relationships with each other. But and so that's where I get very like, is it just a very um, dismissive term that's easy to label a movie that has women as its main characters in it? Oh y- yes. Yeah, and that's that's what that, I, I wanted to do. Short short time. answer. Yes. Yes, short answer. Yes. Because um, NRA Just Fortune was one that um, I wanted to do because it's and uh, on our uh, Facebook page, Joe made an excellent point, which was when Outrageous Fortune came out, it wasn't marketed as a chick flick. You had just two um, at the time pretty decent box office draws who happened to be women, Shelley Long and mm-hmm. Ben Midler. And it was really marketed more as a zany adventure, you know, these two comedians kind of, you know, going across country. Today, if you were to make that movie, it would be much more female heavy in terms of the marketing, I think. Mm -hmm. And when you kind of Google around and look for, you know, to see what people have to say about Outrageous Fortune, now people look at it and say like, oh yeah, it's a chick flick people don't talk about from the 80s. And it's so it, but why is it, or is it one? And so it's but so complicated. It, it depends on what definition of, of chick flick you're going to use, because I don't, like I said, I don't find the term negative unless it's used negatively. Like well, you can yeah. say I, something's a chick flick if it's got like, is Mean Girls a chick flick? It has a like girls in it. Okay, yeah, but I mean, I if you use yeah. if you use it to describe something, and this is my main issue with it. I feel like you can have a chick flick, but then are you using it to describe grown-up fairy tales? Mm-hmm. Are you using it right. to describe, you know, like you said, wish fulfillment, like a yeah. made Manhattan or a, I can't, or a something else. to launch. Or, yes, yeah. something ridiculous where, like, and I read a really, really, really good line, and I, I think it was in that art, the, the post that you po- put up in the Facebook, um, and I, I grabbed it, um, her- uh, they usually fe- modern chick flicks usually feature a heroine who can't get her life together until a nice man shows her how it's done. <laughs> that is my problem, and that is what so many films marketed to women nowadays seem to be. And yeah. that is is a modern gr- a grown up fairy tale. Is, yeah, the kind of chauvinistic wishful helmet. Yes, and and that's where I like, and that's where I always find myself agreeing. Like, yeah, any. This is a generalization, and I, you know, I haven't really seen most of these Katherine Heigl vehicles, but the, you know, few minutes of them that I catch, that is always what it feels like. It feels like this movie is kind of talking down to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. Yeah, these movies that are kind of saying, oh, these beautiful women have such hard lives because as much as, and they're almost always, not, you always have two schools. They're either really successful in their professional life. Or mm-hmm. really unsuccessful in their professional life. And so, and I mean, we see this with the movies we'll talk about today. They either, you know, uh, are really, really motivated, professional, working women who are too busy for romance, i.e. most Katherine Heigl films. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they are, you know, they can't take care of themselves and their just lives are a mess. But then at the end, um, the man is going to come along and they'll open up a bakery together. Or, or like, it's that kind of idea that, mm-hmm. you know, by the end of this movie, they're going to get the guy and the career. And, and which, which in turn tells you something about the way women, the female roles, like 
you can have it all, but you're like career wise, but you're probably cold and too busy and unapproachable. Or you can just be a mess. And don't worry, everything will get fixed once the man is there to set you in the right path, which is awful. Yeah, completely. And so it's a I guess this the thing that's been like really bugging me is I can't decide where I come down on the term and if if it should even be in existence. I don't think it should. I, I think there's no need for it. I think it's it's not a real genre. Yeah. I think we need another term for the kinds of movies like this means war spoiler alert and Catherine Heigl movies and um you know, some of the, uh, I'm trying to think of other examples of ones like this. And it's hard for me because I don't watch a lot of these kinds of yeah. movies. Um, but, I mean, to me, there is a significant difference between, because I was, like, think going through, um, I figure one of the things we could do is, like, look at a lot of titles that are often uh, considered chick flicks and figure out, well, <laughs> are they or not? Um, you know, take My Best Friend's Wedding. That's a really hard one. And I don't, I think, as much as I don't really care for that movie... Which one is that? That's the one with Julie Roberts. And has um, it got that, that nice man in it? And he's he's gay? Yes, Rupert Everett. Okay. Cal- okay. That, Cameron nice. Diaz. <laughs> that nice man. That Rupert nice Rupert. young man. You know, he does hate... You know, I, I've, seen, I've seen a lot of that movie. I don't know if I've ever seen it all the way through. See, these are the types one. of movies that are on TBS. Yes. That's the only reason I've ever seen any of these movies ever. Well, because the thing about um, My Best Friend's Wedding... That is different from Runaway Bride. Runaway Bride is very much Julia Roberts just keeps, you know, getting engaged to men, but then in the end, she finally finds the one that she's going to marry. But My Best Friend's Wedding, Julia Roberts plays a cunt, to say say the least, Mm -hmm. who decides to sabotage um, her best friend's wedding because Mm -hmm. she decides since he's getting married, she realizes, wait, no, I'm in love with him. Yeah. Um, And so the entire movie is her kind of going through a lot of hardships to try to stop this wedding and spoiler alert to this movie that's on TBS every five minutes <laughs> she ends up alone It she does not get the guy he marries Cameron Diaz as, as he should um, she ends up totally alone dancing with Rupert Everett kind of having learned a lesson um, and it, so it's an interesting one because in that case it's not wish fulfillment yes mm-hmm. she looks gorgeous in her bridesmaid's dress but it's it, I mean it's it's not really what I would think of in terms of a dismissive, quote unquote, chick flick. So you, when you have these kind of outliers like that, uh, it that still that movie did do well, that right? Movie did very well. That was kind of her comeback so, as a because for a while Julia Roberts was the kind of like the thing who anything she did, and so she yeah. would take kind of like those kinds of roles. And then she went through that period of like Mary Riley and like Sleeping with the Enemy, <laughs> where she was kind of doing trying to act. Um, and then, like, My Best Friend's Wedding was the movie that she came back with where it's like, oh, she's a redhead again, so it's going to be a good mm-hmm. movie. Um, and it's, I mean, I don't think it's a, I'm, I don't really like the movie, just for various reasons, but um, I, don't, I don't dislike it because it's one of, you know, those movies. Because it really isn't. It's actually much more subversive, I think, than most people would think mm-hmm. upon first viewing. Or you look at the poster and it's Julia Roberts, you know, gigantic smile and perfect hair you know, over a wedding cake. So you you think you know what kind of movie you're getting, but it actually doesn't do that. So I don't know, does that make this movie, does it 
come, you know, go in a different categorization? Well, see, uh, the Wikipedia definition of chick flick is um, a slang term for a film genre mainly dealing with love and romance and designed to appeal to a largely female target audience. Now, beaches, same thing. Very little romance in beaches. So, I mean, I don't know. I really think it's 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 a construct. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's not it's not a real thing. Yeah, Urban Dictionary's <laughs> definition: a film that indulges in the hopes and dreams of women and or girls. A film that much is, more accurate. <laughs> it, yeah, and I think that's um, it's it's almost. Uh, I'm trying to phrase it correctly. Um, girl porn in a way. Yeah. It is, no, that's, that's, that's fine, yeah. I think that's the idea of it. I don't think that um, When Harry Met Sally to me is girl porn because I think it is a movie about these two people and this relationship and um, it's, it's not happy fuzzy. It, it has a happy ending, but it doesn't feel like the ending exists because women want it to end that way. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, uh, let me think of other ones that would come up on there um this means war uh could have ended a lot of ways oh, get there. Yeah. but instead it chooses but, but, the most conventional out it, it can take well let's let's tackle this here would you consider that movie a chick flick because i wouldn't Is it fulfillment? Kind of. It's about a very successful woman. But it's not her story. At no point in the movie is it her story. Ever. True. But it is a romantic comedy. And it is is very much a movie that a woman would try to put herself in, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, mean, hey, come on. Well, I mean, yeah, no, I'm not arguing that. Um... That's the kind of quote-unquote appeal of of Twilight being what it is. But and that, that is girl Swan porn. Being what she, Bella Swan being girl porn, unremarkable, yes. boring, not brave, not smart, um, pretty enough, but not threateningly pretty. Oh my god, can I read you this quote I grabbed that is so appropriate to what you're saying? Okay. The ultimate stereotypical chick flick protagonist is a quiet, plain girl who, who, through sheer force of character and earnestness, manages to win the affection of an attractive and popular guy. Yep. Exactly. What, Bella? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's how that. boring is that? Yeah, and yet women love it <laughs> because they can, because they can they can. It's it's just a vessel for them it, it to is. yeah it's but, and you know it's the, I mean hey it's the same reason why most porn the dude is not that attractive because it's mm-hmm. easy I mean Ron Jeremy is a star not just because of his penis but because it's you know easier for a man to put himself in that position uh, and think hey I could get that girl because I'm better looking than this guy <laughs> it's it's it, it's uh, yeah it, well I mean you think of the traditional um, quote unquote chick flick actresses. Like Meg Ryan, Meg Ryan is was adorable. Now she's all weird looking with those yeah, she is. things. But I mean, she was adorable, but she was never hot. She was not. I don't think. I mean, people were attracted to her. I'm sure. Oh, but, she yeah. She was never like the femme fatale. Yeah. She was yeah. And yeah. even Julia Roberts, who you know, a lot of people will say she's weird looking. 
Oh, same thing. There's a, like Jennifer Aniston um, is appealing appeals to women, whereas they always say like Angelina Jolie appeals to men. That there is that difference, and with that, that relatability, I guess, which is mm-hmm. why someone like Jennifer Aniston would have a better better luck doing um, the, uh, these kinds of movies than what Angelina Jolie tried with what was that? Oh, that awful movie where she was blonde. Do you remember? She was like a news reporter. <gasps> I saw it. I saw it. Something. Yes, I know exactly. Yeah, I saw it. I saw that, that in the theater. Does not belong in the movie at all. And it does kind of feel like they were like, so Angelina, we want to broaden your base a little bit and give you a nice uh, romantic comedy movie. And they made her blonde and it's just terrible. And it's, yeah. so it's that. Now, um, something else that I wanted to bring up is, do you have a standing on the Manic Pixie Dream Girl films? Such um, as Garden State... Um, or 500 Days of Summer. Uh, I've never seen 500 Days of Summer. I oh, hate, curious what's her face? I cannot, I cannot stand her. I then, can't. Yeah, and I feel so awful saying that because <laughs> I'm sure she's a lovely human being and I don't, I just do not like her on my screen ever. <laughs> I mean, and she has like a gluten intolerance, like she doesn't eat gluten and like we could totally like bond about that. But there's, there's just something about, like, the way she presents herself that rubs me the I, wrong. Well, it's funny, because um, Erica, my Glee cast co-host, um, I remember when New Girl was coming on, I was like you. I was just, I'm like, oh, God, these commercials are just so forced and forcing her being dorky and cute and nerdy and weird, but really, really cute. That, yeah, like, I was one of those women who's like, oh, God, I, I don't like her. I don't like how she just plays on all of those things um, that people assign to her. Uh, and yet now I'm like, there are times when I'm like, I feel like that's me being petty and because I've, I've caught like minutes of that show and it's actually pretty funny. And I think Mm -hmm. they kind of learned, okay, we're being annoying about this. And like, they kind of reeled back on it. But I think that's like a good example of like the kind of emotions that come out with these kinds of movies. Um, the, uh, oh yeah, but the whole, I, it's been a long time since I've seen a movie like that i mean garden state or like i saw garden town. state i've never seen that i've seen garden state once and it was like right after it came out on dvd um that's not really my my bag so i, I haven't mean, I seen a lot feel of it like there's something to that where there's sort of the um the, no, i'm sorry not chick flick the girl porn versions of romantic comedies for men yeah, well, yeah, it's it's all, like, it's it's another version of wish fulfillment, exactly. right? Because it's the typical, like, I'm kind of a loser, I'm just a dude, and I got no job and stuff, but then all of a sudden there's, like, this gorgeous, weird girl who's all charming and, and figure skates and teaches me about life, and she's just there in town doing nothing and available, and it's, um, the, the, the term that was coined on the AV Club was the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, mm-hmm. and you can even go back, goes back to Harold and Maude, all the way there. And it is, it's just this magical woman who appears and seems to have nothing to do in life but to show this man how to live and how oh, to Oh, you really, you really need to see The Brothers Bloom because I really feel like this could be a good discussion Ooh, okay. um, about Rachel Weisz's character in that. We'll, we'll put it on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think there's kind of, yeah, I think that's where I come down on this now. There is, I, I am erasing the term chick flick, at least from my okay. vocabulary. Because I ain't calling Steel Magnolias or Beaches or Ever After or Legally Blonde, those movies ain't chick flicks. So those are just either fantasies or comedies or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm calling it girl porn and girl porn for boys. Girl 
All right. That's what I'm calling. Might be a little confusing, but I, I yeah. think so. I think that's good. Okay. So next time somebody tries to call Muriel's wedding a chick flick? <sighs> okay. Ghost, not a chick flick. Not a chick flick. Sorry. Now, ghost is a romance. Yes. But let like me, a let supernatural me. romance. I have a list of them. I'm, you, you tell me. Is it chick flick, girl porn, girl porn for boys, or just <laughs> another genre? Footloose. Like another genre. Another genre completely, right? <laughs> but, but people always link it in. Oh, because it's the kind of movie I like to watch with my girlfriend. So it's chick flick. Except it's not, it has nothing to do with, with so, that. And then there, there comes in the mildly offensive thing of, well, if a girl likes it, yeah. it must be something special and different. Right. What? <laughs> like a girl just can't like something? It has to primarily women, then it's got to be that. Um, exactly. Jerry Maguire. Uh, which I've never seen, but isn't that like a like kind of a romantic comedy, but also a sports movie? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. Oh, that's like like just a like girls being friends movie. <laughs> the girl power movie. Yeah, that's like a a movie just where like girl like a girlmance. Is there a, a girl version of bromance? That's an excellent question. There should be. Oh god. Um, oh, you know, I remember. Um, actually, Fozzie coined this. I remember one day when he was when he was referring to it. You can call it relatieship. Yeah, that's what that, that movie is. It's a relationship movie. But the, I guess if if chick flick wasn't had didn't have such a negative negative connotation, then I would call that a chick flick. But like we've established, basically those are just ridiculous wish fulfillments and yeah. Romeo. That's not a. Yeah. Excellent. I'm glad we had this discussion. I feel better I about myself in the world right now. I was really mad for a while. Yeah, no, I was too. Just <laughs> for me, it was, you know, reading comments about movies that I feel like it's the belittling of it. That's what would bother me. It's when somebody speaks about Steel Magnolias with um, embarrassment to like it because they feel like it's a chick flick. Mm-hmm. And just because a movie is about women and maybe is primarily composed of women... Ain't making a chick flick. The Magnolia, but, I think, is a drama and comedy. But when it's all guys, which a lot of movies are, why, it doesn't get a special name. Uh, yeah, unless in recent times, I feel like with, like, The Hangover. Hang- that's become a genre of, unto itself. Yeah, yeah, and kind of just like the Judd Apatow stuff, it became, like, mm-hmm. this thing where it's, you know, very, very focused on the fact that these are men acting as men do. Um so there was, like, what is it for Hangover? Is it, like, the Wolf Pack or something? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I've actually never seen Hangover, so I don't know. Um, so, yeah, there is that, like, now here and there it was coming out, but, but there's no term for it because people still don't know. Like, I, on our Facebook page, people were tossing around Dick Flick, which I like, but I've never heard anybody actually use it until then. So mm-hmm. I do think it's, you know, the Hangover was just comedy, um, whereas uh, Bridesmaids was a chick flick comedy. And no, no, it wasn't. It's, I just... It's what it's what that term says when other people use it's it because that I bothers feel like me. It is it's trying to demean a film when somebody uses it. Nobody it, ever says it's a chick flick as a compliment. They'll say I like it even though it's a chick flick, but nobody ever compliments a movie as being a chick flick. Oh no, and I feel like it's it's when when women some women are asked what kind of movies they like. It's a very dismissive way. It's almost like an out. Like I just like whatever I, I know is in the multiplex. Mm-hmm. I just like whatever has this person in it. I you know it's it's and unfortunately I know a lot of people like that. Yeah. That I, that I that, that I do hear people say that that like 
put themselves in that box. Yeah, I like chick flicks. Yeah. What do you and that, but that that doesn't even have a meaning. Right. What does that even mean to you? At that you point, just I want to take that person and be like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna watch The Wedding Planner, and then you're gonna watch Muriel's Wedding, and you're gonna tell me which one has more positive things to say about about being a woman. But then it goes beyond that. They, that's a bigger issue. Like, because there doesn't need to be positive things said about women, because that's not what women that's are... That's not what you go to the movies for. That's not what... I was just going to say, that's not what women want. That's not what we're told we want. This is, this is this turns into a whole different conversation. But basically, it comes down to the grown-up fairy tales. I feel like early on, certain fairy tales teach very bad lessons to young women, and they grow up, and they see movies that just hammer those... That, yes. You know, like Cinderella stories, which a good deal of romantic comedies... Yeah. Um, it was girl porn are it was shocking how many are like that yeah when like scrolling through like my top 100 list of chick flicks yeah i was doing that too i was like just the basic yahoo search oh my gosh how many movies like how many takes on cinderella are there or like just a girl becomes like a princess right right like just happens to become a princess let me ask you have you ever seen ever after yeah i love ever i love ever after if i had a daughter i would be shoving that movie down her throat (laughs) <laughs> she would love you for she it. Would. Mom, after stop. gagging and, and, and pooping out a DVD. Um, Dude. Ever After is a... If those of you who don't know, and you're probably laughing at me as I say this, Ever After was the Drew Barrymore Cinderella movie from when I was working in a movie theater in 1997, way back when. Mm. And it is... Um, I mean, it's not, necess- it's not what I would call girl porn because it, there is... Sure, yes, it's a Cinderella story, but it's about this strong young woman who earns these things and, you know, turns down the prince on more than one occasion and teaches people. And it's, it's such a positive, good for, you know, women and, and girls movie. And, you know, it's a Cinderella story. And so it's just one of those, like, yeah, it can be done right. But mm-hmm. the trope of it is just so easy to fall back on. You know, and who I'm sorry, but who for the most part are are involved in the production of these films? Yeah, I mean, of course, there's. Uh, I, I'm sure people will point out, oh, well, this 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 is a female writer, this is a female director, this is a female producer. All right, for the most part, mm-hmm. it's men that are creating these things. Yeah, it is still so, a big gender imbalance in Hollywood. Yeah, so I mean, Garrett that's got to say, you know, leading the pack. So, it's got to say something. He's made so. more women's films than Penny uh, Marshall. So that is true. All right. So are are we are we good? Do you feel better? I better? Fe- I feel for the most part better, but I still feel really sad. <laughs> okay. Uh, so would you, which one do you want to do, want to talk about first? I don't know. Do you want to go chronologically? We'll go chronologically. So we're gonna take a very quick break. We're gonna come back and talk about 1987's outrageous fortune. It's outrageous. It's outrageous.
Okay, we're back now to talk about my pick. Yeah. Now this, this is fortune. I used to watch quite a lot as a kid, but as I as I said last time, I haven't seen this movie probably since I was like nine or ten years old. So mm-hmm. it was uh, an interesting rewatch for me. Christine, tell me what happens in Arthur Hiller's outrageous fortune. Um, are we doing spoilers on this? Uh, I think. This, okay, this one—it's a comedy from the '80s, so. And, well, it's also like there's not there's some twists, but it's not like a giant reveal that spoils anything. The All biggest right. reveal comes like 20 minutes into the movie, so yeah. We can okay, and I basically figured out some a part of it on my own, so I mean. Well, I'm sure you did. Yes. I mean, I, not to, to so my own. Wasn't form. going to you know wasn't really trying to challenge the the Mensa let me be pr- audience. Let me be proud of myself. Um. So. <laughs> This movie is about two women who find themselves in an acting class together and then also find themselves boning the same guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then a hilarity ensues. Well, why does hilarity ensue? What? Because what, you're missing a big plot point after they find like, out they're boning the same guy. Then, well, they, they, they find out they're boning the guy <laughs> because he dies. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't. But he doesn't. So we have to go on like a, a madcap adventure to yep. figure out why he faked his death and what he's still doing alive and what the F is going on. And most importantly, which one he's going to choose. Yes. Although that gets thrown out the window. Uh, uh, mm, I'd say pretty. Oh? I would say, how long is this movie? A hundred minutes. I would say... For 90 fucking minutes, they're still fighting over who he loves. Really? You think 90, 90 minutes? I don't know. See, that to me was the biggest disappointment about rewatching this movie. Was, so these, okay, so it's um, Bette Midler plays Sandy, um, uh-huh. who is it, brassy, as they like to describe her as. And Shelley Long is Lauren, who's this. Um, who's classy. Who's classy. Classy <laughs> and brassy. Uh, so, and Lauren is very prim and proper, and she's an actress. And Sandy is Bette Midler, so she's Bette Midler. And they find out that, and they both had this, like, magical meeting with this perfect man, played by Peter Coyote. Which is, I had to suspend disbelief there, but... That he was the perfect man. Well, he was a school teacher, um, and, you know, had a nice apartment, and, you know, really cared about kids. His only fault was that he smoked. Which I love how that's, like, nothing back in the 80s. It's like, oh, he smoked, no big deal. Well, I mean, if he was that great, I would be okay with that, too, I guess. Uh, But anyway, so... (laughs) Shelly Long is dating him for like six weeks, I think. Yeah, something like that. And just like seeing him every day and is just smitten with him. And upon his death, she discovers that Sandy, that Midler, uh, was also sleeping with him and was also in love with him and thought he was in love with her. And it's a good 45 minutes where these women never say, what a fucking asshole was, who was screwing both of us. No, then they spend the next 45 minutes saying, oh, he didn't love you. Look at you. He was just using you. Why was he using this one if he was having sex with you? It really bugged me, and I could not get over how sexist it felt where these two women who were totally okay with the fact that this man was having sex with someone else in the only six weeks. I want to know what you were doing watching this at age 10. Well, this, this must have been rated R. I didn't check. Just with the, I mean, because this is a pretty set. Like, there's no nudity, but there's 
quite a yeah, lot it was of rated R. innuendo in this movie. Yeah, I'm thinking One like the whole crux of this right over my is, head as a kid is that like the guys the guys fucking two two women <laughs> and little Emily, little ten year old Emily's like, oh, which one is he gonna pick? <laughs> I like well. It's, I guess that's because as a kid, I focused on you know they're um, now they're jumping off cliffs and they're mm-hmm. being shot at with arrows and they're riding horses and there is a lot of the zaniness in this movie is really fun and I think holds up in a way that's still entertaining. Also mm-hmm. because um, it will. I mean, I I always like Bette Midler, although I actually find her a little grating in this movie. Uh, but I think Shelley Long is wonderful in this movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She owns it. And this, like, the fun IMDb trivia for this one is that um, when they both signed up for this movie, they were both told they were getting top billing. And so the way the uh, marketing team solved that was, like, east of the Mississippi, Shelley Long had top billing, and west of the Mississippi, uh, Bette Midler did. Mm-hmm. But really, it, it's much more Shelley Long's movie, and she's yeah. wonderful in this movie. So there is a lot of fun things about it that I think as a kid, like, and it's even the things like Bette Midler has a, wears Christmas ornament earrings. Like, I remember things like that, just some of the kind of more... So you, you, you focused on different aspects of it, oh, which yeah. is probably why you didn't realize it was, they went so long what, with their own. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Because I was, yeah, I, I didn't realize that I was watching a blowjob happen. Um, but, you know, I knew that George <laughs> Carlin was funny. And that, you know, the girls dressed up like guys was pretty funny and things like that. So there is there is a lot of enjoyable, like, and my mother and I still quote the line. There's a great sequence where um, Shelley Long and Bette Midler go into, like, the projects. Mm-hmm. And they're, um, they're pretending to be cops. So they have these, like, guys who are dealing drugs, like, lined up against the wall. And um, she, uh, Shelley Long has Bette Midler frisk them. And she's using this, like, really forced New York accent. And she says to them, nice buns, boys, been working out. <laughs> Me and my mom still quote that line to this day. It's a pr- it's a pretty good scene too. It's, so. it's a great scene, and so you have these moments of really good comedy that works because you have good comedians in an occasionally really funny script. But the central conceit about these two women risking their lives not for this man, but risking their lives to find out which of them he was going to choose. Um, was really bothersome to me as a woman today, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, so it bothered me. It didn't, it didn't bother me at all. Huh, weird. I mean, I was, I was aware of it, like yeah. I knew, and I was waiting for the change to happen, yeah. but I thought that, that it kind of, like, and faded into that so seamlessly but, that it made no, their because, friendship more believable. But it essentially <sighs> changes when he pulls a gun on them and is going to kill both of them. It's well, not like I mean, they have this realization. It's that they find him and they're all happy, and then he's like, "You led them right to me." Ah, this is why I don't have loose ends. And he goes to kill them. But, but they—that's what—that's what breaks their hearts and makes them realize, "Hey, you know, you're more fun than him." But there's even like a point where um, somebody—I wish I had written this down. Somebody says something to the effect of like, you know, we didn't like alluding to the fact that they didn't really think this whole thing out. True. Yeah. And to me, that's just, it makes it all forgiven because it is, I, I mean, and I did take a step back and I was like, well, how long were they on that plane for? And they didn't like have like a little bit of downtime to think about it. They were sleeping. But if you just, if you just go with, with, with what you're shown. Movies during, during planes, that's why. So I was, I was kind of okay with it because of, I don't know. I just, I didn't, I didn't let it bother me that much because of, of, of when it took the turn, it was really like, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious what more people think of it. 
Because it, I don't know, it really, and because Brandon too, at a certain point, like he kind of looked at me and I'm like, I know, right? And like, we both felt the same. We're just like, I just, that's really bothersome to me that, you know, um, this movie was written by a woman. Uh, yes. Leslie Dixon, who also wrote Overboard, which is an 80s movie that I also really like. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Doubtfire. This is Doubtfire, pay it forward. And look who's talking now. Well, the best of the series, right? Um, also wrote Limitless, which oh, yeah. I really liked Limitless. I have not seen it. I am i don't know, something about that movie. It's a lot of fun. Uh, directed by Arthur Hiller, who did... Um, See No Evil, Hear No Evil, which is a mm-hmm. comedy that I really like. and I, I like that one, too. And I did Teachers, which is um, a, a kind of early version of Detachment, if you will, Christine. <laughs> favorite Adrian Brody movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's see. We've got uh, easily the one of the token 80s uh, opening credits. Did you? Oh, my, it was so 80s. It was what amazing. The, what it the was, hell? It was just fashion. Remember, you might you probably had these when you were a kid. Although I don't know, because I had my sisters. They were, like, fashion plates. There was this, like, plastic thing. Yeah, fa- with fashion plates, you can be a designer. A fashion plates, fa- like fashion designer, yeah. That you put in, it was, like, Absolutely. leggings or a skirt. Yeah, yeah. And that's what yeah. the opening credits are. It's, like, earrings fashion and plates. stockings yes. and skirts and more earrings. I swear to you, I'd say 97% of what Bette Midler wears, my mom owned. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> giant, like, the really, like, um, the really oversized sweater Yes, like with the tight pants and the heels. Yes, yes. like the the, the the thick ribbed, like deep V neck, huge oh, sweaters. Yeah. Oh, no, the oh, fashion my. in this movie is just—it's uh, a place of its own. And Shelley Long just wears like the really like oversized dresses that are really unflattering. Yeah, with, like shoulder pads and shit. Oh yeah, oh lots of shoulder pads. Yeah, but the the opening credits of this movie are fantastic. And, and they just don't end. They just keep going. It's like seventeen minutes long. And, and Brandon looks at me. He's like, "Oh, so I guess they're fashion designers." I'm like. No, That's no. I thought. I thought that was gonna play some part in it. Like, no, nope, like, not oh. at all. Not in the least. Um, I really like that this movie has the use of a, an old term that you don't hear often anymore: bimbo. Mm, yeah, is that like not proper anymore? Uh, probably not, because it's you know it's it's kind of like saying dumb bitch. I guess, um, but, but it's one of it's like one of those terms I remember married with children always used to use. Oh, all the time, yeah. I associate it with that very like late eighties, early early nineties era of slang, I guess. So it just <laughs> was funny to me. Um, and like, so there's some jokes like the arrest scene where they're like we we said earlier where they're kind of posing as cops. Like it's really funny, but then there's just a really flat, not clever period joke thrown in. Did you catch that? Um. Yes, I I think I did. Yeah, because the scene is funny. And, like, you know, the girls are, are going with it. And then she's like, yeah, don't piss her off. I'm in a bad uh, mood. I have my period. And yeah. then you're like, but I'm... Well, that, that's probably like, yeah, you know, what girls, what girls say. Yeah. Yeah. They're so wacky. Um, Very... There's so much 80s-ness about it, as we already talked about the fashion. But you also have... Remember a time period... Where you could run through an airport, I know, security, with a lunchbox full of money and pay for your ticket at the counter. No, I don't know that because I never went to an airport before when that was still a thing. It was a thing um, at one point. Yeah, it was in that whole like getting off the plane directly onto the tarmac. Like, yep. what? Yeah. 
what? Like, that's crazy. This movie did a very 80s thing, which any 80s comedy set in an airport, including the Chipmunks movie, uh, would have to involve a luggage carousel chase. Mm, yeah. What, the Chipmunks, which Chipmunks movie? The one with the, the hot air balloon? One from the late 80s. Where they, the hot air balloon they, one? The hot air balloon one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was totally a luggage carousel chase. We should do that movie. <laughs> I love that movie. They sing that movie. They sing Louie oh, or Willie Willie. The little penguin is running around crying. Let's stop. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about the chipmunk movie quite a lot. Oh my god, chipmunk movie cast. Oh. Um, so there, there is a most of the soundtrack is played by a Casio keyboard. I think. <laughs> oh yeah, it's terrible, it's isn't so it? So great. So eighties. I love it. <laughs> um. There's, we eventually get to the uh, third build cast member of this movie, George Carlin. Uh, yeah, uh, I almost forgot he was going to show up. He because like when they needed to come it, to. It, it like, you know, I see it mm-hmm. in the beginning. I'm like, oh, okay. And then he shows up. I'm like, oh, like yeah. 20 minutes from the end, George Carlin. I was like, yeah, 60 minutes ago, they did tell, tell me that I was going to see him, but I forgot. Yeah, and I, he's great. I, I feel like he... I don't, I don't know that he was ad-libbing at all, but I just think that he's really funny in it. Yeah. And he's able to make the dialogue really work for him. Um, oh, and and there was a, a weird little thing I caught where there was some traveling, uh, Sisterhood of Traveling Pants going on. Because George Carlin is wearing pants, and at one point, Shelley Long steals them, and they fit her perfectly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did. Even that whole, that whole like thing was weird. taller than him. Plus, there was, like, extra clothes. Like, where did these clothes come from? It was really weird. Um, they came from the opening montage. Um, mm. The opening credit sequence. I yeah, they, they, they just carried all those clothes around the with them. Um, so there's, there's also another very 80s-ness that marks this, is just the fact that the villains are Russian. Yeah. And they are KGB. And just that, again, like, typical CIA going after the KGB because the Russians want to destroy everybody. Which is interesting when when compared to our next movie, that both of Ooh, these have this right. this strange, like, almost out of place, <laughs> like, yeah. almost, like, MacGuffin-ish. Like, this doesn't really matter to the overarching it's, it's here and inserted kind of prominently, but then the movie seems to forget about it. For, like, huge chunks of time. <laughs> of time? Yeah. And then Shelley Long's like, I have this serum. And you're like, what? That's still a thing? What? (laughs) Oh, they did explain that. Yeah, really weird how well these movies fit together. Fucking weird. Very weird, yeah. You would think that we would have discussed this beforehand, but we didn't. No, and this was one, and this was, I think, our first total blind pick where we didn't know what the other one was going to pick. Yeah. Um, I will say there's a couple of lines that I really liked, um... Which includes, uh, after Bette Midler kind of comes around to Shelley Long and she's trying to defend her to George Carlin, and George Carlin refers to her as a dumb blonde, and Bette Midler says, she's not dumb, and she's not blonde. <laughs> yeah, that, there was a few, yeah. I, I know you said you thought Bette Midler was a little grating. I thought she was amazing the whole time. I was like, she's so funny. And especially when she was being crass, I was like, she's so crass. Some of the crashes didn't work for me. Just I think because her accent didn't feel, I just felt very put on. Oh yeah. And so that kind of just kind of bothered me, I guess a little bit. Um, but she did have my favorite moment in the movie, which is when they're driving around Harlem and it's Harlem in the eighties. So it's like, you know, scary Harlem. And, mm-hmm. um, Shelley Long comments that, you know, she hasn't seen a white person in, like, you know, 100 blocks. And Bette Midler goes, oh, no, look, there's one. Oh, they got him. <laughs> <laughs> really, yeah. really 
Yeah, and I mean, there is some, like, weird racial stuff going on in the movie where, like, they're just afraid of black men. Yeah, like, it, like, like Shelley Long's really afraid of the, of the cab driver when they approach yeah. him. And it's like, you kind of be like, okay, well, she's supposed to be very, like, Upper East Side, you know, uh, fancy. But it's still New it York. It feels racist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's as if she has never spoken to a black man in her life. Which is weird. unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. And a I guess of, of the time, I guess. Yeah. A couple of other random, like, people popping up in the movie. You had um, Robert Pastorelli from Murphy Brown. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you had Anthony Held from Silence of the Lambs. Yes. With Linda. crazy hair. He's got this, like, um, floppy kind of... Yeah, like, he was really he, adorable. He was kind of cute in this movie. Yeah, like, really, really adorable. Um, and you have the old woman who did the voice of Ethel on Dinosaurs in one scene. And that made me Yeah, I saw, I saw her. Yeah. Was she, wait, was she in the train? No, she no, was, um, she the, was the, uh, train. the airplane. She was the one who told me yes. where they went. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can Why can't I think of an air, airport, right? Airport. airport. That's, that, that's what you call the plane. <laughs> the, the train, but with planes. Well, it's funny because that woman um, sounds exactly like the little, both of the little women who are on Night Court. Mm-hmm. And so I always get very confused in watching it. I'm like, was she on Night Court or is she the dinosaurs woman? And she was a dinosaurs woman. So that made me happy. Um, but yeah, those are just about all of my notes. Yeah. Uh, did you have any more, anything else to add? Any more uh, points you pulled out? Um, you basically touched on everything that I wanted to talk about, but, um, I did really, the, the shining star of this film for me was just their in- inevitable relationship, kind of how they, they fumble into it, like how it's not like, like, they just all of a sudden realize they like each other. There's the moment when they, and I guess this is why I forgave that that part about how long they were like, who is he gonna pick? Right. Because when they're get when they see him and they're like, oh, we're gonna finally go see him, and they're standing together and they're like fixing their their makeup, and she's like, oh, I look terrible, and she's like, no, you oh, don't. No, like, you look great. And then and then it really felt so real and like mm-hmm. like I was so in in it was so endearing. I was yeah. just so all about what was going on that I was like, I don't I care. All right, it was re- it, it was really really sweet and. I was trying not to look for like um, like homosexual undertones, but I couldn't I couldn't help it because just like the whole thing with Shelley Long like wanting to play Macbeth, which I thought was very Hamlet, subversive Hamlet. and Hamlet, Hamlet, yeah. which I thought was very subversive and I really liked that. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's really cool. So and then at the end, she does and like yeah. and Bette Midler standing there with her, and and I was like. I kind of wish they had pushed that idea a little bit further. Well, another common theme for both of these movies. Exactly. And there is one point where Bette Midler says something about, like, she's given up men or something. And I was like... And there is just because there's a lot of, you know, at one point they go undercover as men in a whorehouse. Yes. So there is, like, some fun they have with that. And it's just kind of the whole, I think, um, not really farce, but just kind of zaniness of it that they would do Mm -hmm. that. But yeah, I agree. I think it would have been really sweet if they fell in love. Hmm. But at the end, I chose to read it that way. Okay. That they that they didn't have the man and that they were doing this production and they were in it together. All right. I like and I was that. like, they, fu- they found their true pair. Yeah. They're together. Um, IMDb suggests that if you enjoyed this movie, you might also enjoy Good Morning Vietnam and The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Oh, I can agree wholeheartedly with that. Oh, Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Let's not even talk about that. Nope, that's one, one, <laughs> one of these days. All right, so why don't we give our grades to Atticus sure. Fortune? 
Um, okay, I guess I'll go first. Go first. Okay. Um, so quality of film, um, I think, you know, I think the funness of it is there and the fact that it's just so big, I really <laughs> appreciate in a comedy. Uh, that being said, I did, I think a lot of the jokes did fall flat for me. Um, so I think quality of film for me is going to be a 6.75. Fair enough. Okay. For you, quality of film? Quality of film... I'm going to say the same. I'm going to say 6.75. Okay. Um, enjoyment of this film is really tricky for me because while I do enjoy so much of it, mm-hmm. and a lot of it's because I watched it as a kid, a lot of it's just because I think Shelley Long is awesome in it, um, the central conceit of them uh, kind of being love slaves to this asshole really did hurt the movie for me. Um, I enjoyed it, but that really did bring it down for me. So for me, quality of life uh, improved upon by this film. I'm gonna go six point two five. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do six point seven five because I was not overly offended by it, okay. <laughs> and I was entertained the whole time. Like I was never once bored. All right. Um, and IMDb average rating is 5.7 which i find to be a bit low it, uh, that surprises me because i feel like there is a lot there are a lot of people out there who who are like me who have nostalgia for this film because mm. it was it was on cable a lot when i was a kid and so i would think that the only people who really saw it are the people who watched it as kids because i mean i haven't seen this movie pop up on tv in years so that's yeah i just for that I've never seen it, and I couldn't remember the name of it for to save my life. I was like, it's that movie with Bette Midler, and I kept Googling Bette Midler movies. And all you get is beaches. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I don't know what it's called. Yeah. Not the one with Barbara Hershey's lips. <laughs> all right, so why don't we take a quick break and come back and talk about a very different movie, or is it? <laughs> this means war. Okay. Okay. Does it? I guess so. All right. Yo, you chose this movie. <laughs> it, I did. All right. I, I'll give a quick synopsis. Uh, I guess. <laughs> another character named, another blonde character named Lauren, played by Reese. Oh, is that her name? I guess that goes to show how little I was paying attention. Well, that doesn't really matter much. Um, so Lauren <laughs> is a busy career woman. Totes. Obviously. 
uh, who has no time for love uh, until her BFF, Chelsea Handler, puts her uh, on an online dating website where mm-hmm. she meets uh, a very good-looking British man named Tuck who happens <laughs> to be a CIA agent. Uh, and then, in a separate instance, Lauren uh, meet-cutes with a man named FDR. Oh, it's a total meet-cute, too. I'm it's so glad you said that. Ah! So she meet-cutes this man named FDR for no, no real reason. They never say why his name is FDR other than to be stupid. Um, but so then <laughs> she's in this quandary because she's kind of dating two men, and this is new for Lauren. But what she doesn't know is that they're both CIA agents. And they're like BFFs. And now they're dating the same woman. And they're kind of weirded out by that. And you know what? This means war. Yeah, I guess that's about right. That, I mean, that's what the movie's about, right? I, I guess. All right. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't talk about Till Schweiger. Well, um, see, again, this is really, it starts off because it's, it's um, what's his face? Uh, Till Schweiger? No, not Till Schweiger. mine? No, um... Mick G. Mick G. Right, right. Mick. Couldn't, what is wrong with my brain? Because it, it's basically. So what is book- wrong with Mick G naming himself Mick G? Whatever. It's bookended by two action scenes. Yes. And so I feel like that's why we have this weird, <laughs> this like angle of like this bad guy hunting him down that you forget is even happening during, <laughs> during the middle portions you get of this the film. I feeling that this movie went through a lot of rewrites. Yeah. Well, Simon Kinberg, who. Um, I have a very interesting relationship with. I read came in to tighten it up. Okay. Um, I don't, or like make it funnier. Um, <laughs> which I don't know if that's true, but like, like I said, I have a weird relationship with him. He's been involved with some things that I really liked, but he's also made questionable choices. Um, and then he also wrote Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Which I did not see. Which is like a very similar to this film. Um, but yeah, I think this film is a very confused film. I think well, it, it definitely feels like a movie that was built upon, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like test audience. Well, obviously test audiences, cause that we'll get there when we talk about the end. <laughs> but it just, it feels like they were like, okay, so we're going to make it uh, it's going to be a, a romance, a love triangle. Oh, but, you know, girls have boyfriends, and they're not going to come to a movie unless we put action scenes in it. Okay, so we'll put action scenes in it. Wait, but now we have too many action scenes. I think we need a kid. Let's put a kid in the movie. And it just, it does, it feels like a very calculated movie where they were like, sidekick, Chelsea Handler, throw her in there, because some people really like Chelsea Handler, so they'll come see the movie for her. It just, it feels like it just is, um, even like their apartments, the fact that everybody lives in this ridiculously... Um, expensively furnished apartment, especially the CIA agents who we presume are never home. Yeah. Well, they seem to be home a lot. Well, they are here because they're grounded, right? After right, they I fuck up so. until Schweiger uh, attack. Uh, so it just, it, this movie feels very, and I mean, that's, I think, the case with a lot of um, girl porn movies mm-hmm. is that they feel, and it's another reason why, um, you know, the genre is looked down upon. They feel very calculated and they feel like, they are made by studio execs looking at the actors and trying to figure out what their box office worth is with which kind of audience. And I mean, this movie could feel it's built that way where you have, okay, well, Reese Witherspoon, women love Reese Witherspoon. Um, and you know, and we get like kind of the subversive Tom Hardy in there. Cause you know, there's, he's going to interest some guy, you know, guys are going to like Tom Hardy and then Chris Pine cause he's a really good looking young man and everything. 
but it I mean it doesn't work for various reasons um in a big part of that and I know I'm sure you'll agree with me is Reese Witherspoon who I I can defend in other movies but she is just miscast here um this the the female character is completely useless in this movie oh, completely it's not even uh it's this movie the thing that okay the first time I watched it didn't know what to expect this was really like I'm gonna rent this because Tom Hardy's in it, um, and, he, and he is one. He he he's Tom Hardy. He's Tom Hardy. Um, Pretty damn good looking man. Let's let's just get that out of the way. But and I was shocked at what this film was. I didn't realize it was going to be this. And I would say seventy five percent of the time, I the, my viewing, I was like, this is actually interesting they're doing interesting things are they going to continue are they really doing this this is interesting and then you find out at the end it was never interesting and it was awful so the second time you watch (laughs) it you just see how awful it is and i feel like maybe and maybe i'm giving it too much credit but maybe at one point this was an interesting film that like you said get test audience to death and got changed and tweaked so that it never offended anybody and that everybody was happy with it because this is my main problem with this film this film is the pinnacle of heteronormative. Yep. And it is the, like, if you, okay, so you don't know. The first time I watched this, I was like, who's Reese Witherspoon going to pick? I really didn't know. Mm-hmm. Was she going to pick Tom Hardy? Was she going to pick Chris Pine? But at the beginning of the film, Tom Hardy has a kid and an ex-wife. So you should know that there is no fucking way he's gonna, she's going to end up with him nope. because they have to get the nuclear family back together. Mm-hmm. That has to come back together, and that is what is continuously infuriating about this film. As soon as the ex-wife showed up, as soon as they made any kind of reference to her, I was like, oh, okay, so she's going to end up with Chris Pine, right? Because he has an ex-wife, and they seem to be on good terms, on mm-hmm. like, okay terms. And, oh, apparently, so we're, we are going to be spoiling this movie, obviously, because yeah. I think the interesting thing about this movie is not the movie, but about all the things around it, mm-hmm. including the ending, and all, we'll, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, so as soon as you see that, you kind of, kind of know that, okay, well, I see a balance that can be restored very easily here. Now, did you watch on the DVD the alternate endings? No, I didn't. I didn't have time because everything got screwed up because today's a holiday. (laughs) And I didn't realize it. (laughs) Okay, well, here's the beauty of these alternate endings. So, in the main ending... um, Is there there one where Chris Pine and Tom Hardy end up together? Let me explain. Okay. I I watch them, and then I watch the alternate endings with Mick G's commentary. Mm -hmm. Um, So, the main ending of the film, we've already kind of said... Stuff happens, and she ends up with Chris Pine for no real reason. Like, they had sex, and she didn't have sex with Tom Hardy. I find it hard to believe that sex with Tom Hardy would, would, wouldn't have been as good as Chris, sex with Chris Pine. But that's the thing. But they make you think she had sex with both of them. No, which I thought was, I did not think she had sex with him. I, 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 know, I know the first time I was like, she had sex with both of them. That's fucking awesome. And then there's the reveal at the end. Right, where like they didn't. where where she he's like no I never had sex with her which is less interesting and also it's it keeps women us us awful women from thinking that Reese Witherspoon's a slut because she fucked two different guys yeah. like like because there are women that would feel that way that would immediately disown that character because oh she had sex with both of them yeah you have sex with both of them because it's Chris Pine and Tom Hardy and because you're casually dating them yes and I because I feel like the movie tries um. 
It doesn't, yeah, it really, it's so confused. It does not know where it stands on Reese Witherspoon dating both of them. Mm-hmm. That's very true. It has, Chelsea Handler is there as the soundboard to say, well, men do it all the time. Men date multiple women. Men sleep with, with more than one woman, you know, in a month and nobody bats an eyelash. And it's, it's absolutely true. And there is really nothing wrong with what Reese Witherspoon is doing for a while. Exactly. She's, she's online dating. She's casually dating. She, you know, then she meets another guy. Granted, when she meets the guy's family and then the other guy says, I love you, she should probably say, by the way, we're, uh, just so you know, we're not ex- like, I'm not exclusive right now. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, she should have said that. But at the same time, the movie doesn't really know whether or not it wants to say it's okay what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously you have all these other, on one hand, it's like letting her off the hook for everything because really these guys are just competing with each other. But really it's not because it also, in the end, is going to make her choose and, you know, but then it's going to put her on a pedestal when she finds out that they know each other. So it's just this constant thing where the movie doesn't know if it's judging anybody or not. And that's what, that's where I feel like it was, it had to have been changed so many times. Oh, yeah. Because sure. at, at one point, there was probably no shame in what she was doing, but then all of a sudden, it's like, no, the we test, can't. You know the test audience where there were people like, well, I don't like that she slept with both of them. Well, why, you know, why is she dating? Yeah, because yeah. A, whim, a woman isn't allowed to do that. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, that is kind you of. must have had that. And I don't see, I don't. I'm not sure if maybe I just kind of like stopped paying attention, but I really didn't think she had sex with Tom Hardy when I watched it the one time I watched it. Um, it like fades out. I think it's very open to interpretation, but I distinctly remember the first time thinking that she did. And then at the end being genuinely surprised. Yeah. And so I have to, and then and then this time I was like because I already knew I was like oh no they didn't have sex but then I was surprised again at the end when Tom Hardy told Chris Pine I was like but wait I was like oh no Chris Pine thinks they did so yeah I was really all turned around um so the alternate endings so the main ending um she just ends up with Chris Pine and Tom Hardy is back with his ex-wife and son because now he told his ex-wife that he's a CIA agent. And, like, she has part. less of a problem with him, yeah. Yeah, because apparently if you're a CIA agent, even your spouse can't know that, I guess, even if it's destroying your marriage. I don't know. I don't work with CIA. I don't know. Um, so an alternate ending, number one. Um, the same exact thing happens where there's an explosion, and instead Reese Witherspoon is in the arms of Tom Hardy. <gasps> and, okay, so that happens. Cut to the next scene... Where it's Chris Pine alone in his bachelor pad, knock knock on the door. Who is it? It's the flight attendant, who's like, who says, "We thought we'd give you another chance." And her and another flight attendant walk in, and he's like, "Okay." The alternate ending is that Chris Pine goes back to like womanizing. Okay. Which I don't like that. I don't. Well, the thing that's annoying about it is, again, in this case, there's no reason for in both endings, there's no reason for her to choose one or the other. We never really, every single time she's with one of them or she's talking about it, she's like, well, I like this about this one, but I don't, but I don't like this about him. And there's never, and like, she never ever comes out and says like, but I actually, you know, uh, like he might look better on paper, but this is the one that I'm really like moved by. No, that never happens. It's just whatever the script decides in the end. So, but what pisses me off about the Tom Hardy ending is that then it kind of negates 
anything about Chris Pine's character for the whole movie. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, no, he didn't really care. Like, oh, whatever. He's fine. Just, you know, banging stewardesses all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's very, like, and it just kind of goes to show that the movie had no idea who he was or who she was or who any character in this movie was. Yeah, they had no real direct. It yeah. could have been. It was arbitrary who they she ended up with. Got yeah. Hat. And now the other ending. <gasps> Is this the one that I, I dream about at night? Okay, so it, it ends like this. It ends with the explosion. Uh-huh. And is like alone. It's dead and they're in their, each other's arms. Yes. <laughs> Shut up. But that's it. And then it's, it's over. Ew. She's dead? No, she's alive. Oh my God, it'd be so great if she's dead. No, she's just like sitting there looking at them and the camera pans over to them and they're like, Chris Pine is like holding Tom Hardy. <gasps> But that's it. There's no, like, coda or anything. So you know that, A, they never meant to use that. But the best thing is then, so I'm like, wait, so what? So then I'm like, and Brandon laughed at me because I'm like, fuck, now I got to watch these with commentary. So I turned the Mick G commentary on. And when they get to, when he gets to that ending, he's like, (laughs) um... He says, and I quote, he's like, yeah, so this was the, uh, you know, this was our uh, third ending. And, uh, you know, we didn't, obviously we didn't use it, but uh, this would have taken a lot of guts. And that's it. But it's like, wait, so did they end up together? Like, I mean, okay, this movie ended with the two of them looking into each other's, like, unnaturally blue eyes and kissing. What a fucking great movie that would have been. Best movie ever. Because, without question, best and movie not, ever. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a fucking creep. I'm just saying that because I am so yeah. sick of these ridiculous heterosexual relationships getting shoved down our yep. throats when the filmmakers didn't even believe their romance. Yeah. They didn't, clearly, because they could have been with anybody. Because yep. there is a fucking line in this movie where, <clears throat> excuse me, or I think I have it somewhere. I wrote it down sometime. Um, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Oh, there. Where where um, Tuck is just like saying how wonderful their his relationship is with FDR. Oh, our relationship is the best. You know, wouldn't it be great to have it with a woman? No, wouldn't it be great to just have it with each other because you clearly fucking love each other. This, I mean, there's. I'm sure there's an alternate uh, version out there or a porn parody where it's just, yeah, they end up together. I want that. I'm I do too. I want to watch Tom Hardy and Chris Pine have sex. I don't think they'll actually do it, though. But how great would it have been if they have? Um, pardon, pardon my typing. Um, yeah, um, because really, another real with it is um, that they that neither one of them really has much chemistry with the Reese Witherspoon oh, character. No. But yet, yeah. together, they're, they're, I mean, there are some, for me, there were some jokes that kind of hit. Like, I did chuckle a few times. But for the most part, they sucked, but there was still chemistry, and they were still, like, charming and funny and, between like, the cute. Two of them, you mean? Between the two of them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, the best part of this movie is their relationship with each other. Yes. Uh, completely. Like, they, I mean, they do have some cute moments together. And, I mean, and both of them, I, both of those actors are good actors, and... They, they play off each other really well. Mm. And that is by far the best relationship in the film. It just, you know, obviously this is going to be a mainstream, you know, it was not going to go that route. But even not going that route, it could have done so many other things to make the route exactly. that went actually matter in any way. Oh, um, there is there is a ton of um, this, mean, this means war fan fiction, though. Oh, of course, as well there should uh, be. You like so, tiger in there and a so yeah. much of it. Oh wait, but, him in a, what? No, I'm trying. I don't think there's any with him in it. 
Oh, yeah, there's one called At Least We Have Each Other. I'll be reading that later. <laughs> um, yes. So, you're right. It didn't have to go this this route that, you know, I wish it had gone. But it could have done something interesting or subversive or something yeah. with, with Reese Witherspoon. But because she doesn't actually sleep with both of them and she ends up with the one that she did sleep with and then Tuck ends up back with his wife and kid... And, you know, this, it's very much like, uh. and then they end up getting married. This movie ends like six times. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be great if it like kept going, like return to the king and then they have grandkids. It's it like kept ending and like, it was like, we're together. And oh no, I'm back with my wife. And oh, we're going to get, we're going to play together. It's, it's just, ugh. yeah. Um, I mean, I think the, the, there's a lot of issues about this um, mm. and it's just, it's I do wonder if they had cast a different actress or approached that character differently mm-hmm. because I do, I do like Reese Witherspoon in certain things I will I will always forgive her for anything because she's an election and she's amazing in that um, and I get why some people find her very charming in these kinds of movies but in this case like she's supposed to kind of be sexy She's supposed to kind of be like the dream woman that these two really good-looking, successful men would um, essentially give up their friendship for. And she just is very pinched in this movie. Yes, because at one point they are ready to just write each other off and they call each other like brothers. And like the only moment of like spark that she has is what? Like, oh, she knows Hitchcock movies and a video <gasps> we have to, we have to, We have to talk about that. But <laughs> How did you feel about that scene? That was... No. Okay. First of all, just so everybody knows, he suggests they're in the the video store and he suggests the lady vanishes to her, which solid suggestion. She goes on to say it's a second tier title. Are you fucking kidding me? Like after Notorious, really, really Reese Witherspoon character, really one woman whose name I don't remember, a second tier title. Shut the fuck up. I got so irritated by that. Come on. It, it, it really undermined the whole thing. It really just ruined the movie for you right there. It well, does. Christine, she did really like dogs. She did? <laughs> that was her thing. She worked a lot. Um, and she liked dogs. So she was, a, she, was a, she was super nice. This is a lot like me. I like dogs. I work a lot. You like Hitchcock? I do. We're very similar, she and I. Yeah. Maybe that's, maybe it hit too close to home. Also, she said, and and his and his best friend boyfriend, and his boyfriend. Yeah, Yeah. she said his best output. It was nothing compared to his output from 1960 to 1972. She said that. So she means Psycho, The Birds. Okay, fair. Marnie, not a good movie. Torn Curtain, not so much. Topaz, okay, no. Frenzy, absolutely. That that's not his best. Oh, okay, let's not even talk about that. Um, the best Done. part about that scene actually had Done. nothing to do with them. It had to do with the extra who was totally staring at Chris Pine the entire time. <laughs> was that, that me? Did you catch me in there? <laughs> I swear, it's probably because all of their eyes were so blue that they were popping out of their heads. Oh, they were just Look, mesmerized. I believe that all those people have blue eyes, but clearly McGee is like upping the filter on things so that their yeah. eyes just look alien and weird. Mm-hmm. And I don't get that. I don't get that. <sighs> just the look of the movie. And, like, I mean, in the opening action scene, you have 
both a dude jumping and shooting sideways, which you can't after, um, oh God, after uh, Hustlers, you yeah. can't ever watch anybody do that again unless it's meant to be funny and it's not mm-hmm. here. Uh, and you have Tom Hardy hanging from a building, dangling there from with his two arms. <laughs> and then they kick a suitcase to which Tom Hardy is able to hold on with one arm and grab the suitcase, which you would think the momentum of this pretty heavy suitcase grabbing his arm would pull him off the building, but no, of course it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like, and of course you have a car crash at one point where the car just explodes. Like, you yeah. got the crazy McGeeisms in this. Like, and it, it's where you could see the minds of Studio Head saying, "Great, we got all this great action stuff, and we've got this romance. So we're gonna get got girls and their boyfriends to come see this movie." But the, the action stuff wouldn't have been so out of place had this not been had had it not turned into such a like a, a boring by the books kind of romance no, in the end. You're right. Because the idea behind it isn't like that. You could take this story, this every single plot point. You could you could keep Chelsea Handler in it. You could take everything about this movie and write it better, like in a day, and just make it more interesting in every subplot Ugh. and it's it doesn't do that it's it's kind of you're like i'm glad i am glad you picked it because it is this like really fascinating example of how not to make a movie a mainstream movie that you are trying so hard to appeal to everybody with yeah because as a result you appeal to no one mm-hmm. i was infuriated after yeah, i saw it the first time case where i mean audiences hated this movie this movie was not a hit it bombed it was considered like the like low light because I think this was the one where because they always do the like most overpaid actors where they take like actor salaries and compare it to like what they've yielded in their movies mm-hmm. and I think Reese Witherspoon was like the number one worst investment this year because her last like five movies have tanked and this which was probably on paper supposed to be a very easily successful you know, mid-year release where you throw oh, absolutely like a, like a slam dunk. Yep. Yeah, you throw in like in April or March where like nothing new is really coming out. So every, you know, people are going to go to the movies and see whatever's there. And well, this is the perfect option because you have, you know, girls and guys are going to like it. And like audiences were actually smart enough to be like, no, not for me. Because when you try to appeal to everybody, you know. Yeah, it's not going to work. Then you end up running the risk of not appealing to anyone. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's fascinating in that way. Yeah. Um, Those are my notes. Yeah, I think I, I mean, I did, I did kind of take notes. um, And one of them is just in all caps. I wanted them to date. And I was talking about (laughs) FDR and Tuck. And and Tuck. Why the fuck is his name FDR? I don't know. But that wasn't, it wasn't like his last name was like R. His last name was Foster. What? Yeah, it's so that. it's no it's, F, it's FDR Foster. It's FDRF. What the? For I don't know. I guess because they they thought talking FDR sounded good as like uh, names. Uh, Ebert's little rule is whenever a movie tries to name its characters in like quirky ways, it's usually trying to compensate for something. Yeah, I mean, in this case, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, this movie gets a lot of. Uh, for me. Yeah, for me, it, it gets the ughs because of of missed potential. Like I really wanted it to do something different. If, if it it could have been a sub, a subversive masterpiece, yes. 
I think it could have been. I, yeah, I, so. I completely agree. I will say, I would like to see this movie remade by, um, how about, oh, Matthew Bright, who made Freeway, starring Reese Witherspoon, and oh, Tim okay. starring everybody. He should remake this film. I think, yeah, I think somebody with balls shouldn't remake this yeah, film. Somebody just... with just who would approach it, like a John Waters type, who would be like, all right, give me the story, but I am going to tell it the way it's supposed to be told. It would be a, wonderful. A blind man could see that that, <laughs> that relationship was just absolute yeah. garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where we stand. Yep. All right, do you have any more notes, or should we rate it? No, I think that's it for my notes. Okay. Um, so, quality of film? Yeah. Um... 4.5? Yeah, I was going to go 4. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I it's a made movie. It it has money behind it and stuff. Um, but yeah, I just feel it's such a mess. So yeah, there's that. Yeah. Um, ugh, quality of... I'm going to say 6.5. Um, because it's give, it gave me a lot to talk about and a lot to think about, and I did, the first time I watched it, I really liked it. So I, I, I'm gonna stick with that just because I have I have feelings about it. Right. I mean, it, at least it, it's, it, at least it didn't leave me completely lukewarm. It's an education lesson. It is. It teaches you certain things about a movie. Mm, um, it does. Yeah, and it. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't enjoy it. There were things I enjoyed about it. I enjoyed Tom, the Tom Hardy and um, Chris Pine relationship. I thought, oh my god, I gave it a seven the first time I watched. Wow, oh my god, <laughs> I had to find it. Pardon me for cutting you off. Yeah, no, no please. I I need to know things like that if I you know ever let you babysit my cats. No. Um, so it's yeah. I mean, I like that relationship in it. I like that Till Schweiger was in it, even though he didn't he had nothing to do, and then was nothing dead, to I do. Think. Did he die? I'm pretty sure he's not in the movie anymore at one point. Um, kind of like Billy Zane in The Roommate, actually. <laughs> uh, but no, quality of life for me, uh, 4.75. Fair enough. Yeah. All right, so we've got a um, couple of things to leave you with. Some Netflix uh, instant recommends. Uh-huh. Do you want to go first? Um, sure. I'll go first. All right. All right, so um, this, this is one that I've been sitting on for a while, um, but I watched it a couple years ago and I really liked it. It's a just because I was trying to figure out like what kind of mood our listeners might be in and what kind of movie they need right now. And mm-hmm. then I just figured, eh, you know, you can always use a sort of musical horror film that feels very Buffy-esque. <coughs> so I'm going to go with an independent little horror-ish movie from a few years ago called Low. L-O. Did you? Oh, yeah. no, I haven't. Um, but, um... Other people have recommended this. Yeah, I think you would like it. It's very, uh, it feels very um, Buffy-esque. Especially, it's, it's very, really? it's a character that just it feels like Anya, completely. So if you were oh. a Xander Anya fan, it just, it definitely speaks to you that way. But it's, it's just, it's a really um, sparsely made, it feels very theatrical. It feels like it was, you know, some, like, college student decided to make a, a movie musical uh, that could all be filmed on one stage kind of thing. And it's just something really different. It's, like, it's, I would probably say it's, like, a PG-13-ish feeling romantic horror genre-ish movie. It's very hard to describe, and I really like that about it, because it's just very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
and slightly sad at times. And so I'm just putting it out there. It's something if you kind of want to see something new and fresh, I would recommend checking out Low. Hmm. All right. I might have to do that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now, what are you going to recommend to find um, watch? My recommend is um, Leviathan. I have never seen that. Yeah, it's not what I thought it was going to be at all. Okay. It's it's like Alien, but underwater. Okay. That, I, I, didn't, I like those things. Yeah, I didn't really expect it. It's, I mean, and um, Ernie Hudson is in it, Ooh. which I didn't know, so I was like, so I, I will awesome. always love Ernie Hudson um, because at Horror Hound a couple of cycles ago, he just looked like the happiest man in the world. Yeah, he's always, like, he just seems so sweet and approachable. Yeah, he just seems like a genuinely nice guy who mm-hmm. likes fans and likes likes who he is and, and everything. So I yeah. will give a pass to him for anything he ever does. I think he's great. Um, All right, I might keep Bring Bring it back to that. Um, yeah, I, I just, I really liked it. Again, I didn't expect it. I didn't know what to expect. Um, it's bizarre. It's very derivative of okay. multiple things but it's 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 interesting so i i would um i would say take a look at it all right maybe i will i think you should now on our next episode we have something uh-huh. special planned yep okay so this all started off the i thought we had, that we had recorded this but this was no this was when you and i were talking like in between segments mm-hmm. we somehow came upon a movie that stars a couple of people such as um charles napier Mm-hmm. Adrian Barbeau, Shannon Doherty, amazing Antonio Sabato Jr. Yes, and do you remember who the other person in it is? Adrian Brody and Adrian Brody. One of the only Adrian Brody films I haven't seen. And I this we just this just blew our minds because once we looked at this movie, and then we looked at the director. Who directed this film, Emily? Um, you might know some of his work. Uh, his work includes uh, a movie called The Guardian, about a killer tree. Mm-hmm. Um, it includes a rather controversial film called Cruisin', um, which, uh, <sighs> and um, a little movie you might have heard of called The Exorcist. The Exor what? Yeah. <laughs> the Exor what? Uh, yeah, Will Freakin's Jailbreakers. 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 What is this even? What movie is this? It's on Instant Watch, and it's it's like seventy six minutes, so it's really short. It is apparently part of like I think it was a TV thing. It might be a made for TV movie. We don't really know. We just know that it's on Instant Watch and stars all of those people. And Shannon Doherty plays a cheerleader, and it's <sighs> co-written by Deborah Hill. Yes, yes, I remember, I, I saw that so, when we were first talking about it. Yeah, everything about this movie is it's amazing, blowing and we just can't wait to watch it. Uh, and we decided to pair it with, um, so this is where you might have remembered like nine hours ago when we were talking earlier in the, in the show about Killer Joe. Uh, we're going to pair this movie with, um, with Bug. Bug, yay! Bug, which means I get to watch Michael Shannon. Oh. Really see, it's all—it's all a ploy. It's all a ploy just for Emily to see Michael Shannon. And it's like, and Bug is where like he's really crazy, Michael Shannon. So yeah, and like really crazy, really naked Michael Shannon. Really crazy, really naked Michael Shannon. And then Harry Connick Jr. plays like a badass. Oh, I love Harry Connick Jr. Yeah. in that. Yeah, so I'm excited. And I haven't gentleman out there, Ashley Judd's like naked in the movie sometimes. But I really don't think it's her. Really? Her boobs don't match up with her boobs. I, I just don't, I don't know. Like people, I mean, if you have proof that it really was her boobs. I mean, but it's fine if it wasn't. I don't judge. 
strike me as somebody that like would not show her boobs because I really hate when they don't. I understand it if they really think that like they're not good enough. Yeah, like what if she just felt bad about it? See, like because the thing that surprises me about because that movie is so raw and brutal that I would have a hard time um, believing an actress willing to do that movie and go to the place that movie requires of her. Actually, she does seem to have really nice boobs. I'm looking at her. All right, well. Well, listeners, um, we so maybe those were her boobs. I, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it really carefully, and really maybe I'll put I'll make that be Brandon's job when we watch it. I'll be like, okay, your job. Don't watch the movie. Just try to make sure focus on Ashley Judd's boobs. I mean, but if you if you Google like Ashley Judd boobs, like the bug thing came up. So maybe maybe the internet knows something I don't. But is she like shot from the? I don't know. Okay, well. <laughs> That's going to be the main question. That's my whole review. um, What is a chick chick flick? Uh, Next week or two weeks, our question is going to be, are those Ashley Judge show her boobs and bug? Hmm. All that and more. All that and more on the next episode of Feminine Critique. Uh, If people want to talk about Ashley Judd and whether or not those are her boobs. You're you're opening up a a door that you are talking about. her boobs on the Facebook page because I don't want to get, like, Edmund kicked off stuff because that will be awkward. Yeah, Um, and then someday my mom might join that group, guys. Oh, someday? I thought she already was a member. No, I'm afraid to ask her because I know these people and they will put her (laughs) These are Ashley Judd boob people. Yes. (laughs) But if you'd like to discuss Ashley Judd Boo, Ashley Judd's Judd's, Ashley Judd's Boo. I don't know why it took me so long to think that was that that funny. Um, To discuss Ashley Ashley Judd's Judd's. It's not even 11 o'clock and I'm already loopy. Okay, so to discuss Bug or Michael Shannon's awesomeness, uh, you can go to our Facebook page at Mm -hmm. Feminine Critique on Facebook. Somehow, you type that and yeah, find us. Yeah, type it in. Yeah, uh, on Twitter. <clears throat> um, the Feminine Podcast or Feminine Podcast. Yeah. But we don't, we're, we're terrible on Twitter. Uh, yeah. It's, we're the worst. You know, what, you know what, though, I have to say, though? I think I'm going to probably start moving over to that Twitter more. Because my problem is on my other Twitter, I follow so many people now that I can't, like, get any enjoyment from Twitter. Yeah, um, you can't actually I, interact. Yeah, whereas on our feed... It's, you know, it's a smaller amount of people that we're following, and I can actually enjoy conversations more because I'm not being shouted at by other things. Um, so I'm going to resolve to try to use Twitter more. All right, good. Okay. Um, yeah, so those things, uh, anything vital, email us at the feminine podcast. Fe- no, fuck. The feminine critique at yahoo.com. Yeah. Yep. Um, and check out the debatable podcast where we will be guest starring on one of these days. Uh huh. Um, and then just listen to everybody else's podcasts who are great. Yeah, everybody's podcasts are great. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, okay, we'll be back next time to talk about Ash Judge Jokes. Just wanna do something special for all the ladies in the world. Just wanna do something special for all the ladies in the world. And the girls, don't forget them. Ladies.
Tunisian, Lady. Bolivian, Lady. Namibian, Lady. Eastern Indochinian, Republic of Dominican, Lady. Amphibian, Lady. Presbyterian, Lady. Out of sight, amazing lady. Late night, hardworking lady. Erudite, brain and lady. Hermaphrodite, lady man, lady. You sexy hermaphrodite lady man ladies You sexy lady bits And you sexy man bits too Even you must be into you ooh, ooh, All the ladies in the world I wanna get next to you Show you some gratitude By making love to you It's the least we can do If every soldier in the world Put down his weapon Beats up a woman What a peaceful world This world would be Blondes not bombs. Ooh, we're talking about brunettes, not fighter jets. Oh, oh, it's got to be sweet 16s, not M16s. When will the government realize it's got to be funky, sexy ladies? I have a vision, and all I can see is only you with the all of me in a world of peace and harmony. Every lady gets a little piece of bread I've been to Paris, Wellington, and Amsterdam And wham, bam, mercy, Duncan, thank you, man I don't care if you're ugly or you're skanky or you're small Just wanna do a little something special for you all Just wanna do something special For all the ladies in the world All the old ladies All the clean ladies Just wanna do something special For all the ladies in the world